0: Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication, and we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I'm excited to be with you on the show today as we continue unpacking American education and helping parents break free from the soulless, godless system. We've got a great show for you today that will help equip and encourage you to be a light in your realm of influence. But first... The bad news. My favorite researcher, George Barna, recently sent out his updated Millennials in America report, and it is stinging. My daughter likes to tease me and say, Mom, who's George Barna? whenever I quote his research, a not so subtle reminder that I've probably been over quoting him for years. But it goes without saying, both to you and to her, that George Barna is the most li- quoted living Christian researcher, and I might possibly be his biggest research fan. That said, His latest research findings are sobering, hence the bad news warning. So buckle your seatbelt as I share some of the highlights or rather lowlights. In his study, Barna found that only one-third of millennials, 18 to 24s, uh, claim to believe in God. Only 19% say human life is sacred, which is down from the 50% mark that boomers uh, would agree with, human life being sacred. Almost 30% of 18 to 25s report having a mental disorder and 50% report having a mental illness, Only 28% trust the Bible as the inerrant word of God, which is down 16% from older adults living today. 44% of those trust the Bible as being inerrant. I know you hear some patterns here from some of our last shows. Almost 50% prefer socialism to capitalism. Only 19% of born-again believers In this generation have a biblical worldview, but when we look at the general population, Barna says that only 2% of the general population of 18 to 24 population holds a biblical worldview, 2%, and he says that 39% of that 18 to 24 category identifies as LGBTQ, which is an ideology we've been talking about, which has been aggressively taught in the public school system. Uh, All is not well on the American home front, friends. And as Barnes says, the younger generation is largely the product of, quote, unaddressed dysfunctions of the generations that came before them, a generation, he says, that has inherited a cultural war zone, but not the tools to bring peace to that war. Now, the good news out of the report is this, though only 26% of them say they would trust a pastor, 46%, almost half, say that they still trust their parents to influence their lives. So parents, this is our time to shine. Now, what if you're that parent we've been talking about over the last few weeks who's waking up to these realities about your own children for the first time? First, remember, you are not alone. There is a revival in parenting and family happening all across the nation, and there are many tremendous resources available for you. The first step we've been talking about is getting your children out of the public school system. And listen, that includes public charters. Charters came in as a Trojan horse years ago. We've talked about their history, promising, quote, free money for electives, field trips, books, and supplies. Remember, As Gatto said, government monopoly schools are structurally unreformable. Whether you're sitting in a classroom or choking down the content from a charter, they're doing exactly what they're designed to do, creating cogs in a machine. Your second step parents is begin assessing and where needed healing the relational attachments that may have been fractured by the public peer driven family segregating system of public education. Go back and listen to my podcast interview with Corey D Mateo to hear her testimony on how she saw God move through her family through the simple addition of a process she calls tea time. In his book *Parenting from the Inside Out*, one of my favorite books to buy for new moms, Dr. Dan Siegel emphasizes the importance of relational attachments. We've been talking a little bit about those over the show, but I really want to drill down a little bit today. This is the main and most significant challenge I'm seeing in classrooms, in homes uh, across the country, uh, across the country, where parents are are beginning to uh, look at that relational attachment issue. Babies, of course, are born completely dependent. Um, now, the world system teaches us that they're innocent, but of course, anyone who's raised a child can clearly see the sin nature that's evident within even very young children. We're born as sons and daughters of Adam, and we have to be redeemed into sons and daughters of the kings. It's his righteousness that changes us and our children from sinners to saints. Having a primary adult dedicated to both perceiving and responding to a child's needs is what gives that child a sense of safety, that secure base that we've been talking about. And attachment plays a significant role, Dr. Siegel says, in children's relationships with others, their sense of security, their resilience, their emotion regulation, and their interpersonal relationships. And that's this key factor of interpersonal relationships and trust was one of the markers Barna also saw as really struggling in the youngest generations. When we look at each one of these arenas, we see these these struggles in the youngest generations. They lack the trust and security that comes from a secure base. They have significantly low resilience levels, hence the snowflake moniker we talked about a few weeks ago. And they have dangerously low emotion regulation levels. Many of these generational shortcomings could be turned around with the healing of attachment. Now, we can't lay again a foundation for Childhood, if the child is grown, but doctors Naborski and Solomon, whom I quoted, I don't know, several weeks ago, said that healthy adult attachments can actually help heal wounded childhood attachments. God is the father of redemption, of hope. He doesn't leave us stranded and victimized, hopelessly awaiting the exit lane of life. Through his marvelous design of neuroplasticity, he gives us the opportunity to grow, to change, to develop, to heal throughout our lifetimes. And as a parent, taking responsibility for a lack of attachment in your children is not an easy step, but it is a vital one. I remember a time in my 20s when I tried to confront my now late father about his role in this regard. And I was (coughs) in counseling, I was trying to make sense of the abuse I'd suffered, and I decided I was going to forgive him as Jesus commands us to do so that I could be free of the bitterness of my painful past. But I Imagine for some reason that it was important for me to tell him about this forgiveness. And in my youthful exuberance, I called him from five states away and said, I just wanted you to know that I forgive you. He was shocked, both at my personal level of conversation, which we did not share in our lifetime, and the insinuation that he had committed any wrongdoing. He said, you forgive me for what? As I stammered on to try to detail the impossible to forget experiences, he stopped me dead in my tracks. You turned out okay, he said, so I must have done something right. Everything inside of me wanted to scream, I turned out okay in spite of you, not because of you, but I knew there would be no upward spiral possible in that conversation. In my stubbornness, I tried once again a few years later, sending him a a letter with a picture of my family, the latter of which he angrily tore up into tiny pieces and mailed back to me, reminding me in the very clear visual terms he used that he did not desire to talk further with me about the subject. In fact, in his brokenness, he pushed away many people, not only multiple wives and family members, but also friends. At the end of his life, tragically, absolutely tragically, when he died of a heart attack, his body lay on the kitchen floor for almost two weeks before anyone noticed that he was gone. And this, again, very tragic, very sad example is a reminder of how a lack of attachment and inability to deal with one's own wounded past can create such deep isolation, both internally and externally. If you're a child reliving a trauma, going back to a broken person and expecting them to take responsibility and accept your forgiveness is not highly recommended. (laughs) More often than not, it's better to work out the forgiveness in your own heart. And that's what I did. Jesus doesn't give us the option of forgiving only the worthy Bitterness, as the saying goes, is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. We have to release and forgive. And maybe you're a parent recognizing that your own relationship with your children is not what you'd like it to be. Maybe you see yourself in some of the earlier discussions we've had where you felt embarrassed of your children, or maybe you've recognized that you've cared more about what your peers think about your children than what your children think about you, or maybe you've exchange the worship of other gods for time with family, chasing that endless goal and accolade that ultimately only leaves us feeling empty in the end. These are hard things to face, Bowlby, the very founder of attachment theory, wrote in 1979 that adults who become suicidal, delinquent, and unable to maintain a stable bond of affection often share in common a childhood with, quote, prolonged deprivation of maternal care during their earliest years of life, usually combined with later rejection and or threats of rejection by parents or foster parents. This adult behavior born of childhood pain, he surmised, is because, quote, models of attachment figures and of self an individual builds during his lifetime and childhood and adolescent tend during his childhood and adolescence tend to persist relatively unchanged into and throughout adult life. He says we are, quote, apt to do to others as we have been done by. Now, again, as believers, we have the hope of redemption in Jesus. We have the hope of adult relationships healing those childhood traumas. You remember maybe a few weeks ago when I talked about how it, when I was a child, the neighbors in our in our community wouldn't let my sister or me babysit because they said we didn't have a mom, so we would never be nurturing or warm. And of course, if you know my family now, you know that that is a testimony to God's grace because we certainly have nurturing, warm, and loving relationships. But this pattern of multi-generational sin is clearly outlined in the studies that I was reading to you. How do you know if you're what Bulby called a pathogenic parent? He outlines several terms for self-reflection. He says, pathogenic parents are persistently unresponsive to the child's attempts to elicit care. Their parenting lacks continuity. Uh, pathogenic parents use threats of taking away love or abandoning the family as a means of control or discipline or coercion. Pathogenic parents threaten to leave or kill their spouse or commit suicide, and pathogenic parents try to make children feel uh, that their own behavior, the child's behavior, is a reason or cause for a parent's illness or death. Now, some of these. Obviously, this lists are are rather dramatic, and hopefully we don't see ourselves in these. Uh, But (laughs) the lack of responsivity and continuity, numbers one and two, as well as the presence of blame are actually common parenting, quote, techniques we hear from parents and their Gen Z children. And of these three, I'd say the lack of responsivity is perhaps the one that's most pronounced today because parents' affections are often divided. They're divided between the rush of dopamine from a string of likes on social media versus the perceived daily drudgery of parenting. Parents desperately need to find their children this joy and this treasure that God has made them to be, the true honor that he's entrusted to us as parents to sharpen and guide arrows into the next generation. To paraphrase Titus, our children are our resume. Not remarkably or surprisingly, children who've grown up with pathogenic parents exhibit insecurity, anxiety. This is one of the key markers of Gen Z. The key marker is anxiety. One of the key influences and key emotions that they experience on a regular basis. Uh, regular basis. Children from pathogenic parents have a low threshold for attachment in adult relationships. Again, if they do not heal. And of the three most common maladies of Gen Z's, which are anxiety, depression, and suicide ideation, anxiety is the most prevalent. We've talked about Mel Levine and how he once looked out over the landscape of millennial children and saw what they would become as adults because of how they're being parented. We too are now looking out over the landscape of this anxious, malatuned, misattached generation with great concern for their future families. As Neil Postman said, it is up to those of us who still see the older, clearer waters to share them with the next generation that they may drink deeply and freely. In his work, Separation, Anxiety, and Anger, Bowlby was struck by the powerful impact of maternal deprivation. This key, he believed, was capable of generating responses and processes that are, he says, of the greatest interest to psychopathology. Because the pain of self-reflection runs deep and he made those observations in the midst of feminism's rise, many people discounted his works. For one, because having to spend time with children meant missing out, quote, on something of greater importance, higher honor, greater call. The siren song of feminism shifted a cultural mindset, downgrading parenting to a lesser call. One of our pastors gave a compelling message recently where she talked about the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. All ten were waiting for the bridegroom, but only half of them took flasks of oil with their lamps. And she wondered aloud how those lacking oil, what they had exchanged for the oil that was supposed to gain them entrance into the chamber of the bridegroom, representing the return of the king of kings. And I think in the same way, we have to ask ourselves as parents, as leaders, as culture shapers, what are we personally exchanging for the mental, social, emotional, and academic health of the next generation? We'll trade something for our time with them, with our children. But the question is, will that exchange be worth the investment? Secure attachments, Siegel writes, require consistent, emotionally attuned, contingent communication between parent and child. These are built on what Siegel and Hartzell call the ABCs of attachment. Attunement, which is aligning your internal state with that of your child. Balance, B, being aware that we are the thermostats and children regulate their body, their emotion, their mental states by being tuned to us. And coherency, our relationship with our children should fuel their internal integration and interpersonal connections. We talked about the secure base, Harry Harlow's monkeys, and how having that secure base gives children the freedom and the security they need to explore their world. Maybe you're doubting you have what it takes to be that kind of parent. The Bible tells us otherwise. In the book of 2 Peter, Paul says that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And as we've discussed over and throughout the last several episodes, God's call on parents to disciple their children, to train them up, is evident within everything he teaches. So the first step, parents, is to make sure we ourselves are leaning on his divine power, on his knowledge, on his wisdom. As we train up our children, this is going to require sacrifice, consecration, setting apart. It means choosing family over other events, choosing great things over good times, go over good things, but over time, out of the overflow of your heart and then your home, you'll begin to see a shift, a new day dawning. This is why homeschooling is so vital. It slows down the clock. It clicks us out of the rat race, and it gives us this treasure of time to invest into our children. And out of those rich relationships come opportunities for teaching, training, and discipling the next generation. And as we wrap up this section of my latest book, Outsourced, I want to remind every listener of how you can be a catalyst for change in your realm of influence. In addition to pulling your own kids off the big yellow prison bus, you can be a missionary, a model, and a mastermind. When we think about missionaries, the first rule of missionaries is to understand the culture you're called to serve. Millennial parents have been trained in a world of mommy and me, a world that awards mediocrity, a world that's dominated by screen time, likes, image, popularity, We have to be missionaries in a foreign country, learn the language, discover hopes and joys and fears, and then help them cross that bridge. We can be a model. We can create mentor models. In co-ops, in classrooms, millennial parents learn by seeing. They were raised in a visual era, so having a mentor model to follow is very helpful for them. Um, this is something that every one of us can do. I always say, reach up to someone ten years older than you to pour into you, and reach down to someone ten years younger than you to receive. I mean, to pour out. So we're receiving and we're pouring out. We can be a mastermind. You can plan. You can think ahead. You can think long term. You can. You can. You can help parents to think long-term as well. These new homeschooling parents need structure. I I love freedom. I wanted to give all of our new homeschool parents a lot of freedom. But as uh, you may recall from an early story, I told the freedom was too much for them, and and instead giving them um, giving them a little structure and some real models, some real scaffolding to follow, really, really was beneficial. We know we know the homeschool model works. We know it produces smart kids, civically engaged kids, kids who are academically equipped, more mature socio uh, socio emotionally mature as well. Um, and we've seen the fruit. We've seen the. Introduction of the Values Clarification Movement, bringing this steady decline of of moral output that we just heard about in Barna's latest report. Romans one twenty tells us that God's nature is evidenced in the created realm; that we can learn about God's character and His qualities through studying His created world, but. The traditional model of education purposefully dissects Christianity from the foundations of learning, and it leaves behind this heartless, sterile, disingenuous model of academia. When we look at the sheer volume of what's being taught, we see the overflow in the stats I read from Barna's latest research. Everything students have been taught and not taught in the public sector is now pushing up through the soil as a tragic harvest. And again, that's just the content. As we've said, the methodology is just as harmful. Modern educational institutions anchor on these specific measurable outcomes, but their outcome is not always our desired outcome. Their end goal is not always our end goal. If we want to create critical thinkers and world changers and industry disruptors, then we need to create those environments that will encourage active learning. We need to give students the freedom to ask questions, to stop stifling creativity and critical thinking in the name of conformity, and groupthink. And as believers, our measures are not simply academic. They're social, they're spiritual, they're relational. If we raise really smart kids who go to Harvard and earn a Nobel Peace Prize, but they walk away from God, my friends, what have we gained? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? These are very real questions for the current generation, the most anxious, depressed, atheist generation in the history of our nation. And as a nation, we've spent extraordinary amounts of time and resources over trying to fix the public sector, trying to fix this broken system. As John Taylor Gatto says, I will say it again, over the years of wrestling with the obstacles that stand between child and education, I've come to believe that government monopoly schools are structurally unreformable. They cannot function if their central myths are exposed and abandoned. My platform as the president of Chula Vista Christian University is this. I want every church in San Diego County to launch a Christian education program to encourage parents to sever their ungodly yoke with the public sector. If your church has a heart for rescuing the next generation, go to cvcu.us, that's Chula Vista Christian University, and click Start a Homeschool Academy. Because we can't, and we, can, and we can't stop there. We can't stop with K-12 because how many of you know that college students are walking away from God in droves? You know, I spent 20 years as a professor, as you know, and I saw the ineffective methodology, the crippling debt, the lack of Christian role models, even in quote Christian schools. I knew there had to be a better way, a method that blended the mentorship of homeschooling with the rigorous reading of inquiry-based discussion and classical education. So I launched the college model, Christian, the, this Christian model, Chula Vista Christian University, and we're now training up a generation to infiltrate the marketplace for the kingdom of God. You can learn more about that at cvcu.us. At the end of his study, Barna calls parents to account. He says, Although the Bible exhorts parents to embrace the primary responsibility for teaching their children biblical content, most of them do not, he says. What would happen to the United States if parents loved their children enough that they owned that responsibility? How many lives would be changed if parents were dedicated to ensuring that their children knew biblical principles and applied them to all the decisions they make? Parents, can I give you some homework? I want to remind you to read some of the books we've talked about on the show, Dumbing Us Down, Hold On to Your Kids, No Ordinary Child, Abolition, The End of Education. I want to encourage you to make time every day to read the Bible to and with your kids, to discuss it, to activate it in your lives. Write down verses, memorize them as a family, help your children write the Word of God on their hearts. Deuteronomy 4.11 says that we're to take care to share what our eyes have seen with our children and grandchildren so that the next generation will have an eternal hope, even in the midst of a national or global crisis. As Colonel Raymond Moore once said, unless we change education, we will lose the next generation. Our personal and national liberty is protected and preserved through the multi-generational model of home-based education, especially centered around the church community. And you can be part of the solution. You can be part of the rescue mission. Again, go to cvcu.us, start a homeschool academy. Ken Ham says in Ready to Return, unless we reverse course and return to the bedrock foundational Judeo-Christian beliefs in the Creator and His understanding. Changing morality, we will fail. And the experiment that once was America will have failed, having lasted only a few centuries. The cracks in our foundation are openly visible, though some try to deny it. The truth is that we are rapidly crumbling and soon to collapse unless Christians take action. It's up to us, friends. We are the church, the hope of the world, and Jesus gave us the mission of discipleship. It begins first in our own homes. If you're just joining the show, be sure to check out the tremendous work we're doing in San Diego County at AwakenAcademySD.com and CVCU.us. That's Chula Vista Christian University. From sports to high school honors classes and K-12 outreach, we're rescuing a generation of children. Won't you join us on the rescue mission? I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks again for joining us today on the show. Keep up the great work, and I'll see you right here next week. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contacts at DrLisaDunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E dot com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.